0: signs of life. We've been sitting in this series now for about eight weeks, and we've been watching that trailer, that same trailer for this series for eight weeks now. Uh, The guy who put that trailer together is new to our community. His name is Travis, and this past week Travis lost his father. And so we're going to just take a moment and pray for Travis and his family as they mourn and as they grieve online virtual service that they're doing is this afternoon. So if we could, let's just take a moment to pray. God, thank you for the life of Brian, Travis's dad. We pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray for celebration of a life well lived and a life that now joins with you. Father, in these uncertain and difficult times, adding grief upon grief is even more difficult. It's even more heavy. It's even more um, telling of what it is that we are experiencing as a people and as a country. Father, we pray for Travis and his family. We pray that they may experience anew the goodness of your grace and of your mercy, of your love, of your peace, and of your comfort. May you hold them tight in this space and in this season. It is in your Son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. When we started this series, Signs of Life, eight weeks ago, I had no idea we'd be where we are right now. I mean, how could we, right? I had no idea this pandemic, which was in its early stages, would now see over 111,000 confirmed deaths in the United States and around 1,000 people dying every day. No clue that this pandemic would kill more people in four months than the colonies suffered in the Revolutionary War, more than the United States suffered in the Korean War and the Vietnam War combined. And in the next week, we will surpass what the United States lost in the four years of World War I. And at this rate, We're losing almost twice as many people in the United States per day than we lost in the Civil War, the deadliest event in the history of our country. If this is a war, we're being decimated as a people. Signs of life. How do these miracles we've been walking through in the Gospel of John speak well into these cultural moments, these inflection points in history? These past couple of weeks, we have seen our country wake up as civil unrest sweeps through the streets and across the country, recognizing the historic systems of racism that infect and suck the life out of our country like a virus. Now, after 400 years, are we possibly beginning to hear the cries from our black and indigenous and people of color, our brothers and sisters that have been silenced in the name of maintaining the status quo and an ineffective hollow peace? When Tanahasi Coates was recently asked what he saw right now when looking at our country, His response, which seemed to surprise even himself, was hope. I see progress right now at this moment, he said. That what we have right now is a more sophisticated movement than what was happening in 1968. That there is a broader coalition, including far more white people than in the past. That the Black Lives Matter movement has been the most effective movement he's seen in his lifetime gathering a broad coalition of allies as signs of life. We've progressed in this series through varying stages of grief and lament, of pain and suffering. We've even paused to find joy in celebration and laughter. We've taken time to address the systemic ills of racism and, and whiteness. We've sat in the context of protest, and even now, we look forward to what is next, how we can respond effectively as a church. Unbeknownst to you, I had three goals for this series at the outset. There are always these unshared goals that Trevor and I work through, hoping to see you all grow and change, to see you transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And and this time around, I had hoped that you all would become more sensitive to the work of God that is happening all around us. And, and then in becoming sensitive to that, we begin to engage as his hands and as his feet, that we begin to foster a sense of hope among ourselves and others. Now you can judge for yourselves whether you've moved forward in those areas or not, whether or not you've grown as you've engaged with this miraculous Jesus. These messages always have a pointed purpose of moving you closer to the heart and ways of Jesus. So, three simple questions for self reflection Do you have a stronger pair of eyes for what God is doing? Have you engaged more fully in what you're seeing God do? Are you bringing hope to others? If I'm being totally honest, I really didn't want to preach this week. With all that is swirling around as the winds of change continue to press and push, we find ourselves face-to-face with the final miracle in the Gospel of John, the resurrection of Jesus. When I sat down to reflect on Jesus' resurrection, a a message and a passage usually reserved for celebration, jubilation for Easter, I, I wondered how on earth does the resurrection speak into this cultural moment where we're surrounded by death and grief and anger and pain and protest and upheaval? How can we, with all of these thoughts and feelings and actions swirling around in the air, how can we reflect well on the resurrection in this, in this space? Resurrection new life springing forth out of death, resurrection, hope in the midst of loss, resurrection, possibility when every way seems blocked. I was struck by this reality, that resurrection requires death. Resurrection requires loss. It requires pain, suffering, grief, upheaval, anger, protest. That in the wake of these traumas, all things, all things can be made new again. I I found myself revisiting the work of the theologian James Cone in this space, Cohn was the father of black liberation theology, a, a profound voice who continually called us to look back at the cross, which is inextricably linked to resurrection, because you cannot have resurrection without the cross. He called us to reevaluate exactly what the cross meant and how this new understanding would inform a fuller, more beautiful understanding of the resurrection. Cohn argued that our problem with the resurrection is that we have actually lost the narrative of the cross. The cross has been transformed into a harmless, non-offensive ornament that Christians wear around their necks. Rather than reminding us of the cost of discipleship, it has become a form of cheap grace an easy way to salvation that doesn't force us to confront the power of Christ's message and mission. Our black, indigenous people of color, brothers and sisters, have perhaps a more profound understanding of the cross and of the resurrection than most of us, for they understand the power of the cross as a tool and as an instrument of the powerful to maintain systems and structures of oppression, to maintain power at their cost. They not only see but experience this oppression, and as they experience the power of the cross, they see peeking up over the horizon the hope of resurrection. That the end of these ways of oppression will come to an end, they will see the glory of God standing with arms outstretched, inviting all oppressed And oppressor to sit together at the table of reconciliation and experience together the justice of Christ. The cross is not good news for the powerful, for those who are comfortable with the way things are, or for anyone else. Understanding of religion is aligned with power. The cross is good news for the oppressed because without the cross, there is no resurrection. And perhaps that's why we turn the cross into an ornament. We want to remove the true power of the cross. We want to remove the true power of the resurrection. We want to adore the powerless cross to maintain the status quo that we enjoy. When I was in the Dominican Republic last fall, my friend Milton took me to this beautiful outdoor park filled with flowers and even horses. Mountains spread across the horizon, his kids running and giggling as they danced and sang. and We made our way into the middle of this park, climbed up to the highest point, where this enormous statue of Jesus looked out over the land. I, I had never seen anything like it before. I-, I mean, I've seen many statues of Jesus before in my life. I've-, I've seen many paintings and pictures, depictions of Jesus on the cross, but I've never seen one like this. my friend randy translated the artist's statement for us that even as christ suffers his greatest pain he still reaches out his hand to us to comfort us to care for us to lift us up this is the power of the cross and consequently this is the power of resurrection we live in the shadow of the cross and in the wake of resurrection. We live in the tension of the already but not yet that that Christ has defeated death, that Christ has defeated oppression, that Christ has defeated pain and suffering, but it has yet to come into its fullness. We live in this tension of the already but not yet. And the anger and grief we experience the pain and suffering that is visited daily upon our black indigenous people of color brothers and sisters is a revulsion at the systems and structures of oppression that refuse to submit to the authority of Christ. And we, you and I, have a responsibility, a a divine mandate to not only show the different, but to fight against these structures and systems of oppression to disciple people well in the ways of Jesus. Because as it is written, someday all of these systems and structures will submit that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We live in the already but not yet space of this world. God has made this possible, and and he has invited us to participate. He has invited us to bring heaven on earth. Early in his ministry, Jesus taught us to pray for that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the United States, as as it is in heaven. In Seattle, as it is in heaven. In Seattle, as it is in heaven. And so the question remains, what are you going to do about it? What has God been saying to you as we've looked at these eight signs of life? What has God been saying to you as we've explored these miracles? No, what are you going to do about it? We do not have a timid faith, a faith of fear, a faith that lacks strength or might, a faith that acquiesces to the status quo. No, we have a faith that calls us to action, a faith that calls us into the work of reconciliation, a faith that calls us towards the peace of justice, the peace of Christ. We have a faith that calls us to care for one another, to grieve with one another. The realities of today, to love one another well, and to put that love into action to change the world around us. We have a faith that calls us to teach each other the ways of Jesus, that calls us to teach each other what it means to follow him well. We have a faith that calls us to create new spaces for all to enter into and experience the newness of his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We have been called. And so I ask you, what are you going to do about it? United, we are not a passive church. We have built ourselves upon the foundation of love that is found in Jesus. And this is an act of faith. This is an active church. And together, we can make a difference if individually and collectively we listen to God and ask, what are you going to do about it? And then put it into action. I believe in us as a church. I, I believe in the work that you are doing, and I am proud of the things we are working to create change with, and how we are doing it. No matter how, no matter how foolish it may seem, in this season we have had to work and be different. We have done good work. A, a couple of weeks ago, I got this message from someone in our neighborhood. I'm an atheist, but I have to say I am really touched by what y'all are doing. Helps businesses, helps people. You're setting a great example in this community, and I really appreciate it. We are being watched. People are looking to see if we really believe the things we say. And by believe, I mean action. Are we living out what we say we believe? We have people who are standing around watching us, waiting for us to prove to them whether or not we believe what we say, whether or not we live out what we say. We have such an amazing opportunity before us to really show them who this Jesus is. What are you going to do about it? I I don't know if you know this or not, but this Adopt-A-Restaurant thing is really going wild. El Mezcalito ran out of gift cards this week during our Adopt-A-Restaurant week. There's still some money left at Molly Moon because people from our neighborhood and people from United kept putting money on it. We're bringing hope and joy in the midst of this season of turmoil. We're birthing new life in the wake of grief and death. And people are watching with more and more curiosity about who this Jesus is we're showing. The meal train to Safe Harbor is still going strong. Every week, 55-plus people are fed every Thursday night, and the gratitude is overwhelming. You're caring for one another with care packages and phone calls, texts, and video gatherings. We're showing well the watching world who this Jesus is, whom we love and serve. And they're watching with more curiosity about who this Jesus is that we're showing them what are you going to do about it? But let us not settle here. Let us not only show up to the protest, but let us get involved in the work of justice. Let us continue to grow and expand these beautiful expressions of love in Jesus' name. Let us stand up and against the systems and structures of oppression. Let us reveal the goodness of the resurrection in the shadow of the cross. Let us stand with our brothers and sisters and lift a new banner of hope and freedom, demonstrating and proclaiming through a righteous resistance that Jesus is Lord and his resurrection changes everything. Amen. Amen.